0: The cause of this death was blunt force trauma to the head.
1: The missing mother who was found dead died from blunt force trauma. It says the child died from blunt force trauma to the head. The Emmy's office also confirms she died of blunt force trauma. The medical
0: examiner says the
1: cause of death
0: was blunt force trauma. Blunt force trauma.
1: Blunt force trauma. Test it again now that things are different.
0: Bow, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Oh.
1: That's what you chose to say on the test? Yeah. Uh, hello, and welcome to episode nine of Blunt Force Trauma, the true crime podcast where we smoke weed and talk murder. I'm Jamie.
0: I'm Mark.
1: And we're married, still. Wow. Um, and today I'm smoking a hybrid strain called silver glue. So I Sounds don't really know... <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what that implies, but... Um, it's good. It's strong. Um, I don't really know much else about it other than that. So. It's glue.
0: That's silver. Silver glue. <laughs>
1: um, and Mark's not ah, smoking ah, any of the silver shit. glue, surprisingly. Uh, um, but thank you to my cousin for rolling this one for me. Uh, so how are you doing, Marv? How has your Monday been going? I've been holding off asking you all day um, so that I can find out on there with everybody else, so...
0: It's Monday. Who the fuck likes Mondays?
1: Uh, nobody. What else you got? I haven't talked to you all day. Make it good.
0: Make it good? What is there? <laughs> the fucking Monday. I worked. i are so good about that.
1: Okay, well, this week I have a pretty brutal and creepy case for you. It's really like one of my worst nightmares. Probably a lot of other people's too. But um, we're going to go down to Macon, Georgia. So, not New Jersey. Sorry, Mark.
0: I'm getting tired of this.
1: <laughs> um, but I'm going to tell you about the murder of Lauren Giddings. Do you know anything about this, Marv? Does Never like her heard name of it. ring a bell? No. Never heard of her. Okay. Well, as we get into it, there may be something that jogs your memory a bit, or at least like something you've seen or heard about in passing, because there's a crazy news clip related to this case that's like made its way to the top of many like true crime clip ranking articles and clickbait sites. And so if you're into true crime you've probably seen it somewhere at some point or another but um first i want to bring you to the early morning hours of june 26 2011. it's 4:30 in the morning in macon georgia at the barrister's hall apartment complex when 27 year old lauren giddings is fast asleep in her bed and she's awoken by the sound of her floorboard creaking I'm peeing my pants already. Um, so she looks up to find a masked man standing over her as if he'd been watching her sleep. And he proceeds to jump onto the bed and place his hands around her neck in an attempt to choke her. And the two struggle and fall off the bed, which unfortunately lands Lauren in a prime position for the assailant to mount and strangle her. Like, can you imagine waking up to that for even a second?
0: No, i would just go ahead to sleep.
1: I'll like dream <laughs> i like dream about it and like shoot awake terrified. I cannot begin to actually put myself like I'd in wake oceans. up and be
0: like, Oh hi. Good
1: night. No, but seriously, what would you do? Do you think he'd be like
0: Obviously the first on person your instinct do like, would be like like you've seen me hop out of bed pretty fast.
1: I have for no reason
0: though. It'd be like the middle of a Saturday morning and I'd <laughs> flip out thinking I have work and I'd just hop jump out, out of bed. jump out of bed.
1: And I'm like, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> like that would probably be my initial reaction.
1: You don't think that you? I feel and like I would I probably end freeze. up getting stabbed. Yeah, I feel like I might freeze before I go into like reactive mode, which gives this person like you just time. become
0: full body paralysis.
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's so fucking scary. Um, I genuinely don't know what I would do. Um, although Lauren was definitely putting up a fight, like she was able to defend herself in some way, um, as we'll see later on. Uh, But the man was able to overpower her and proceeded to strangle Lauren to death. So now that you see why this is like my worst nightmare, let's rewind a bit, um, give you some background on Lauren and the events leading up to her death and even what took place after the fact. Um, And we'll get into more details regarding the murder, of course, too. That was just like a general overview to sort of set the scene of what's going on here. But it gets a little crazy. So here we go. Um my sources for this episode are the Macon Telegraph, WGXA News, Above the Law dot com, Talk Murder With Me, ranker.com, dot com, thirteen wmazcom dot com, The Baltimore Sun, and a true crime podcast called Going West. Okay?
0: How about going east?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right. So Lauren Giddings was born on April 14th, nineteen eighty four. In Tacoma Park, Maryland, to her parents, Karen and Bill Giddings. Um, she also had two younger siblings named Caitlin and Sarah. And according to her family and friends, Lauren was like super kind and friendly. She was popular and outgoing and um, never had any trouble making friends. She was really well liked and got along with everyone and like had this overall caring and enthusiastic spirit that was like visible and contagious to those around her. So she was involved in her church, um, St. Mary of the Mills. Um, a Catholic church in Laurel, Maryland, which is actually where her funeral ends up being held. So it's very sad. Um, She apparently didn't have a mean bone in her body and saw the good in people and was just like a good person herself. God bless that woman. (laughs) God bless that woman. I don't see
0: the good in nobody.
1: Yeah. Um... She was also pretty athletic. Uh, She had played softball and field hockey in high school, which is like no joke. Lots of strength, stamina, and like agility, I feel like, is required
0: Uh, for that.
1: So, it's not like she was like weak or easy to subdue. You know what I'm saying? Like, she was athletic. She had some muscle to her. Um, So, back in elementary school, Lauren had met one of her best friends, Lori. So, it's Lauren and her best friend, Lori. Okay? And... The two had remained close through high school and even afterwards when they went in different directions for college, which is important to remember because she does come into play again later. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially, Lauren wanted to go to medical school, but her plans eventually changed and she ends up um, attending Agnes Scott College in Georgia, which is like a small liberal arts college um, for women. And I guess she had always like an affinity for the South, like her Southern culture or whatever. So that's like what led her to choosing a school down in Georgia. Um, but in 2006 she graduates as a political science major with a minor in religious studies and a year later in 2007 she enrolled in the law program at Mercer University in Macon, Georgia uh, where she decided she wanted to be a public defender and like essentially help people navigate these like super low moments of their life you know Uh,
0: Mark just just pointed to the
1: weed Whoa.
0: Just a hit.
1: Just episode a hit. 9, and Mark comes swooping in. Just a hit. Asking you going to hand it, it to me or not? Man? I just, I feel like I should record it.
0: What are we doing, man?
1: Here you go. I'm going to get fucking
0: blissed off that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. All right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if I become res- unresponsive at some point in this episode, don't worry about me. <laughs> I'm fine.
1: I'll just continue on. <laughs> How you doing, Marv? <laughs> oh no!
0: First, let me out. About the motherfucking boys, <laughs> oh. uh, like Five a, seconds in. I like go rumble. Let's go.
1: Okay. Uh, right. So. Um, okay. In 2007, Lauren moves into the Barristers Hall apartments in Macon which is like a small complex of apartments that were rented by other Mercer University law students. Make it <laughs> um, It was sort of like an off-campus form of housing for students like who were in the law program in particular. Mm-hmm. So many of them lived there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And these apartments were pet friendly, which worked out perfectly for Lauren, who was essentially like the real life Elle Woods. Um, she was blonde and beautiful and clearly a law student. Um, She loved pink and even tried to institute pink Wednesdays at the office of her internship to sort of like Uh, build office camaraderie similar to like a casual Friday.
0: Nope, don't do that.
1: Um, And to put the cherry on top, she had an adorable little Pekingese dog named Butterbean that went everywhere with her. She apparently had been kicked out of multiple supermarkets in Macon for bringing Butterbean into the store with her. So I get it. I'd love to take Dobby like everywhere I go, you know.
0: The problem is Dobby's not little.
1: I know, and if I can guarantee like he would sit still, like I'd literally take him to work with me every day, but (laughs) there's no guarantee. Sitting still only lasts so long over here. Okay, so while interning at this Atlanta-based law firm, she meets 43-year-old David Vandiver. How old is she? She is 23, so he was 20 years her senior, but...
0: 21, all right, let's not... We're going to do the math. We're going to do the math accurate.
1: He's... Forty-three? Forty-four. And sh- no,
0: sweetie. <laughs> At first, you did say forty-four, though. No.
1: The thing is, is we haven't recorded, so
0: I'll get. This is where I insert what I said again. You said forty-four?
1: She meets forty-three-year-old David Vandiver. Um, so he's twenty years her senior. As I said. But the two hit it off right away, and they begin dating in the fall of two thousand and seven. But Lauren and David are unfazed by the age difference. Um they had a lot in common and a similar sense of humor and like a seemingly real and pleasant relationship. Um, and they remained together for almost four years until her murder in two thousand and eleven. He did. It. Um and David would later be quoted saying, i thought she was beautiful intelligent very level-headed very laid back very unassuming very sharp-witted and could always make me laugh and i could always make her laugh so while he is of course questioned later you know
0: says things like that the, the murderer.
1: well marv while he is of course questioned later as a suspect in lauren's murder he was quickly cleared of any involvement As he was actually on a golf trip in California at the time of her murder. So he had a solid alibi. Bullshit. Mark, it's not bullshit. (laughs) I have like 15 pages left of story that says it's not Not bullshit. Bullshit. His time here is done. (laughs) Um, So Lauren had actually written David an email while he was on this golf trip. Where she wrote that she had an awkward conversation with like a male friend. Who was like probing her for information about David and their relationship. Like... Questioning her on his whereabouts and it just made her super uncomfortable. But David didn't get the chance to answer Lauren about it before her murder, so there wasn't really any back and forth in regards to who this person exactly was or like anything useful at the time, um, other than the fact that someone was like prying and making her feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You, you follow? Yeah. You seem like you don't follow. What are you confused about so far?
0: I'm not confused about nothing. I'm fine.
1: OK. Um, uh, and it should be noted that in addition to this weird encounter that she details in the email, she also shared with her friends and family that she felt like someone had been like watching her or maybe even breaking into her apartment while she wasn't there. Um, she told them that like little odds and ends things in her apartment would either be gone or moved from the place she had left them before stepping out. And she'd notice later on when she arrived back home. So like two separate concerns of sorts, but they do end up connecting later on when we identify our killer here who is not David, more. OK. Um, so I myself was wondering why she didn't call the police or have like her locks change or take any action really in regards to the suspicions that she had. But Lauren had just graduated with her law degree from Mercy University in May. Um, And she was in the midst of studying for the bar exam, which is like universally known as being difficult to pass. So she was just really focused on studying and sort of engulfed in like the preparation necessary for passing the exam. And it really did take up most of her time and attention. So it was hard for her to pay mind to almost anything else, which I can totally understand. Just being like lost in something and focused and putting on blinders to like literally everything else, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, now we'll get into the timeline of events that led up to her murder. Um, on the evening of the 24th of June, Lauren and some friends take a well-deserved break from studying to go out for a few drinks. Um, and she ends up spending the night at her friend's place, and she leaves early the next morning. Um, from there, she went to the Macon Country Club to like chill by the pool and decompress a bit. Um, apparently, David had given her his pass while he was in California for the weekend. And it was there that Lauren ends up writing the email to David detailing the awkward conversation she had with her friend, where he was like probing her for information about her relationship with David and his whereabouts, et cetera. Um, Afterwards, she picks up food around 6.30 uh, PM, obviously, and heads back home to her apartment to continue studying for um, this bar exam. So she even goes as far as to tell her family and friends that if she's unreachable, it's because she shut off her phone to study. And that she'll be like barricading herself in her apartment essentially for the next day or so in order to really focus on the exam and like block everything else out. You follow? Um, Probably. Which that's kind of like a shitty thing to have told your family when ultimately something horrible happens to you and they're not expecting a call from you necessarily. Yeah, but that's hindsight.
0: You can't go all that.
1: Of course, but I'm just saying it's like ominous the way it lines up. so a few days go by, actually, with no contact from Lauren. Um, and at this point, her sister, Caitlin, and her childhood friend, Lori, who I'd mentioned earlier, um, she was now based in Chicago. And she'd been reaching out to Lauren with no prevail. And despite Lauren telling them that she may be unreachable for a bit, um, this was certainly longer than she had let on. So when Lauren doesn't respond to a message that Lori claimed she would absolutely be responding to under like any circumstances, she grew even more worried and reached out to Lauren's sister, Caitlin, sharing her concerns of Lauren's, like, whereabouts. And when Caitlin also confirmed that she hadn't heard from her sister in a few days, nor had her parents, and for them that was, like, uncharacteristic, um, they decided to reach out to one of Lauren's law school friends named Ashley. And this is one of the girls she had gone out with on Friday night, June 24th. Um, and Ashley lives in Macon as well. So, Caitlin, Lauren's sister, asks Ashley to drop by Lauren's apartment and see if she was okay. And when Ashley arrives, she knocks on the door, but there is no answer. And the door is, of course, locked. Um, but she does note that Lauren's 2004 Mitsubishi was parked right outside, as if she was home or maybe at a friend's apartment. So, she reports back to Caitlin and leaves the premises because she had a date planned that night and she needed to head out or else she would be late. Um, but she did say she would return later to like check again. So she heads out. Um, but in the meantime, her family calls Macon police to stop by the barrister's hall apartments for a welfare check around 11 PM and officers report pretty much the same thing as Ashley and add that there were no signs of forced entry and everything seemed secure. So then they leave.
0: Okay. I'm intrigued by the story. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Now, uh, the next day with permission granted by Lauren's family, Ashley and a small group of law students who are loosely characterized like Lauren's friend group. They're like mainly just like her, like students that are in her program that Uh she studies with Uh and stuff. Some of them she's like friendly with more so than others. But um, together they use a spare key that Lauren kept hidden that only Ashley knew about. Um, and decide to just enter Lauren's apartment and see for themselves if she was in there or if everything was okay. Um, and amongst this group was 25 year old Stephen McDaniel, although he did not enter with the group when they first arrived, but he rather sort of strolled in out of nowhere while her friends were looking around and they definitely all clocked it as like strange. Mm-hmm. His presence was weird. Um, But upon entry they all noticed that lauren's personal belongings including her keys purse laptop and cell phone which was dead and laying on her bed were all left behind so super weird that all these things are here including her car outside but lauren is not um now i have no idea where her dog is during this time but after she's murdered her parents end up taking care of the dog and he actually passed away just like a year ago so, yeah, I don't know where he is during the rest of this story, but he ends up, like, unharmed and in the care of her parents. So, I don't know. I just wanted to note that. Um, you follow more?
0: Yeah, I follow it. Butterbean. <laughs> Butterbean.
1: <laughs> so, her friends take her phone and plug it into the wall to charge it a bit so they can do, like, a little snooping. And they realize that she hadn't made any phone calls or sent any text messages since Saturday the 25th. And it was now June 29th, so four full days later. Um, and with this, her friends call 911 to formally report her missing. And the very next day, a search ensues. So it's June 30th, 2011, and dozens of police officers are assigned to Barristers Hall to search the area and like interview residents, um, including Stephen McDaniel who sort of just wandered into Lauren's apartment the day before while the group was like checking in and strangely just joined them in their search for clues and such. Now a little bit about Stephen. Um, He was born on September 9th, 1985 in Lilburn, Atlanta to his parents, Mark and Glenda McDaniel. He was apparently extremely intelligent. Um, As a child, he admired political figures like Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson and enjoyed reading books about history and stuff. Um, and he also enjoyed puzzles and Star Wars and watching samurai movies with his father. So, yeah. When he was 13, he sang in the Atlanta Boys Choir and actually dedicated a lot of his time to the church, similarly to Lauren. Um, and in his teens, he actually traveled around Georgia helping to like restore places of worship while working hard in his academics simultaneously. Um, And after graduating in 2004, he earned a presidential scholarship to Mercer University, where he, like, hoped to become a federal judge. Um, So seemingly a stand-up guy, yes? Yeah. However, in great contrast to Lauren, um, Stephen was pretty shy and awkward. He mostly kept himself, and he, like, never went out or socialized with friends or anything. Um, He was six foot tall and lanky with, like, long, wild, unkept, like, curly, frizzed-out hair. He had, like, scruff, like mustache and beard scruff uh and he always looked a bit disheveled and didn't really put effort into his appearance so he admittedly says this plays a role in like how others viewed him and they were like a little bit standoffish i don't know i don't feel like his look really matches up to that of a federal judge but do you oh and one other thing that was widely reported about steven was that he was extremely tidy and always cleaning so like ever since a child his family actually nicknamed him mr clean so, like in direct contrast to the way he looked, he kept the environment around him like obsessively clean from when he was a kid. So, most would describe him as eccentric and a bit strange. He often wore chainmail to class, like as an outfit. What? Um, yeah, so that was odd. And a lot of people exiled him because he would like shout out in class that Obama is a communist, just like randomly. And loudly for seemingly no reason he would like interrupt people as they spoke just screaming that obama is a communist um yeah so despite all of that um steven and others recall that lauren was always nice to him and was friendly when she ran into him at the complex uh where he also lived um and so at one point he worked up the courage to ask her out on a date but Being that she was already dating her boyfriend, David, she was able to use that to sort of let him down gently, although he did end up asking her again like one or two more times after that, so I'm not sure he exactly got the hint. So it's no surprise that Stephen is actually the male, quote, friend that Lauren referenced in her concerning email to David, where she described him like prying for info regarding David's like whereabouts and such. Remember? Yeah. Yeah so here he is just like chilling on the scene along with the rest of her friends and bystanders or whoever and uh police are only about one hour into their investigation when they find themselves in front of a trash bin located to the left of the apartment complex where the dumpsters and recycling bins and such were kept now these detectives are seasoned and so they recognize a smell when they smell it if you know what i'm getting at right Uh, one detective was later quoted on an episode of in cold blood saying while we were standing there the wind started to turn immediately I smelled an odor that I was very familiar with we all smell things in life that smell bad and that of a body or a decomposing body is one of the worst things you'll smell but it has a very distinct smell so they approached the bin that the smell was seemingly coming from and it was there that they found just the torso of a woman wearing only jogger shorts wrapped in black trash bags like enclosed with duct tape Right.
0: Um,
1: all the while press, of course, is starting to show up in um, like news vans with cameras and everything. And lo and behold, who but Steven do the news reporters decide to interview live on air? And so this is the clip I mentioned earlier that's been like all over true crime, like top 10 lists and stuff. Um, and if you haven't put it together by now, Marv, Steven here, he is our guy, okay? Uh, he is the perpetrator responsible for the brutal murder and dismemberment of Lauren Giddings, okay? But he doesn't know in this moment that anyone knows that Lauren is dead. As of right now, according to him, she is just a missing persons case.
0: Oh, wait.
1: See? I told you you would start to... This
0: was like in the countryside, right? The
1: countryside.
0: Oh, wait, is this oh. the one when he's like, oh, they, they found a body?
1: Yes, so we'll get to that now. So a news reporter from WGXA is interviewing Stephen, asking him to like describe the relationship he had with Lauren and the type of person she was. Key here, was, um, but he was not, picking up on the past tense there. And he's just so befumbled by this. He can't imagine who would do something to her. Um, you know, she's just so nice, and if he had to guess, he thinks someone probably just snatched her up while she was jogging, you know, and he sort of just lets that all out to the reporter. Um, he definitely does not seem all there. Um, if I had like no context and watched this clip, at first I would maybe think he's like a little stoned, I don't know. Um, But I'm going to play the rest of the clip for you so that you can hear his demeanor completely change when the reporter mentions that the police had found a body. Now there's of course more behaviors to observe when watching the clip, so we'll post it to our Instagram, at BloodForceTraumaPod. But even just listening to the audio, it's pretty obvious like how shook he is, okay? So here we go. I'm going to play it for you. She and I were, we were both JD students. Um, We graduated back in May. What kind of person was she? I mean, how did you... What did you see I mean, she's as nice as can be. I mean, very personable, very much a people person. Do you know anybody that... Any enemies she might have had? Somebody that might want to hurt her? No, I mean... We're, we don't know where she is. I mean, the only thing we can think is that maybe she went out running and someone snatched her. Because, I mean, we went, at, we went over. One of her friends had a key. We went inside and tried to see if there was anything amiss, but... I mean, she had a door jam that was sitting right by it, so there was no sign that anyone broke in. I mean, the door was locked when everyone got here. I mean, we, we just don't know where she is. I mean, what about um, in the, like, the parking lot area? I know they've been doing a lot of, I think that's where they have recovered the body or whatever they recovered from there. Body? Had you heard any, had you seen anything there? Had you seen anything there? I right. I mean, we don't know if this is the same person. You know what I mean? Like, they took out a body there
0: earlier. We don't know if it's the same
1: person or not. So that's how we're trying to ask people if they know who lived there. Are you okay, sir? I, I think I need to sit down. Okay. So, yeah. That's the clip. Um, I mean, he even details, like, going into the apartment as if he's, like, one of the original friend group that went in there. Like, he just attaches himself to it right away. Um, but did you see how his, like, Demeanor totally shifted. He's like, a body. And he's like, I need to sit down. And his whole face, he's like sheet white. He has like no expression. And he can't even answer her anymore.
0: My whole thing is like, why would you go in with the friends? There's no body there. So what were they actually going to find?
1: I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to like be ahead of the game and see what they knew or assumed. So but he could like be prepared. But you're drawing attention to yourself. Yeah. I mean, he obviously, he's not, you know, handling this that well. <laughs> clearly clearly um so yeah um so while he's hyperventilating on the curb uh police continue to communicate with each resident asking for permission to conduct a quick little search of their apartment and all but one tenant obliged can you guess who did not
0: Stephen wow
1: good guess marv um yeah so after police sort of press him with the fact that literally everyone else um allowed them entry and that him being the only one was like pretty suspicious he ultimately caved and let them into his apartment so police along with cadaver dogs enter his apartment on june 30th at one forty p.m and not only do cadaver dogs trace lauren's scent to Stephen's bedroom but they see a slew of weapons and some other weird shit Uh, But the thing is, until all the proper warrants are filed, police don't really have anything solid to um, arrest him like for murder. So instead, they were able to bring him in on charges of robbery after admitting that the reason he did not want police to enter his apartment is because he had two condoms in there that he had stolen from two different apartments in the complex in which he had broken into. so even though
0: so I, got, I got condoms in my bedroom, please don't go in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh. I stole two condoms like from two different apartments. I broke into those apartments. I stole a single condom from each one. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: so uh, what do you what do you look for when you go rob a place? I just take singular condoms.
1: Mind you, he was also claiming to be a virgin at this time. So, like, and wanted to be a virgin until marriage. Like, what do you need your condoms for? I don't know. This is what he's saying he did. So, even though these items I question here are singular condoms, um, police are able to arrest him for burglary and bring him down to the police station where their real motive was to interrogate him about Lauren's murder. So a lot of this interrogation is available to be seen online, so you can look it up if you're interested. Um, But he basically acts like a lost little boy, like he's just staring all around like a zombie. Um, He literally answers, I don't know, to almost every single question they ask, and it frustrates the detectives so much. Um, So at this point, even though they're pretty confident they have their guy, they need him to crack. And so they work up the formal search warrants necessary for like his apartment. And on July 1st, police search his apartment and are able to seize the following. Are you ready? Yeah. Two handguns, a rifle, a rope, four baseball bats, a bayonet. Why do you need a bayonet? Um, A chainmail vest, a camera, a laptop, a cell phone, an external card drive and a memory card reader. Um, receipts, including one from Walmart dated June 23rd, 2011, which put a pin in that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they also find a green sponge, a journal, a pair of women's underwear, which later was determined to have, uh, Lauren's DNA on it and the protective cover to a hacksaw. Um, they later find the actual hacksaw in the laundry room of the like apartment complex where he lived with his DNA on it, of course. Um, but in addition to all of that, they also find a master key that accessed each and every apartment in the complex, which he presumably stole from like a janitor or the management offices at some point. Um, I wasn't able to find out how long he had this master key in his possession, but he had it long enough to film several hours worth of spy footage of Lauren, sometimes filming her sleeping from the inside of her apartment um and other times he would put the camera on a stick and like held it up to her window or whatever as he like crept outside so just fucking terrifying and like obviously proves that Lauren's suspicions were right she was being watched and her apartment was being broken into um so I don't know it just makes me like so paranoid like that's so fucking scary um and they also find searches on his computer for cannibalism and dismemberment porn uh, searches for nude Lauren Giddings as if she's like some celebrity that's done like a nude shoot that he'd like find stuff. Like, does he think that like there's just logs of women's naked yeah. Um So he searches for nude Lauren Giddings uh, and he searches for molesting a sleeping girl in addition to searching for how to permanently delete search history. So you caught. Um, with all of this evidence piled up, uh, they are able to get Stephen to crack um, as they wanted and while he adamantly denied assaulting her sexually He did go on to detail the brutal crime that took place in the early morning hours of June 26th 2011 just a week prior So in Steven's own account of the crime He goes on to say that around four o'clock in the morning. He put on a mask and a pair of gloves and used the master key to access Lauren's apartment um, he stood and watched her sleep for a while, He you fucking creep, um, before she heard the floorboard creak from him moving, which promptly woke her up and she yelled at him to get the fuck out. Um, it was then that he mounted her on the bed and tried to choke her. But she put up quite the fight, which is proven by these, like, deep scratches that Stephen had on his stomach. Um, And in the struggle, they ended up on the floor, and Stephen's mask had come off. So she saw his face and called him out by name, like, asking him to stop doing this. But that only motivated him to, like, overpower her even more and strangle her to death in her own bedroom. So once she was dead, he dragged her to the bathroom and placed her in the bathtub, And Headed back to his apartment until midnight of the following day So when her friend Ashley had come to like check on her and when police had stopped by to do that like welfare check She was literally dead in the bathtub inside the apartment so Midnight the following night He goes back to her apartment with a hacksaw and proceeds to dismember her and clean up the scene and then dispose of her in a trash bin Although her head and legs have never been found, um, and this is probably because he like dismembered her and put her in different like trash bags, the pieces in different trash bags, and he disposed of them in different um, like dumpsters, kind of on and off the campus area or like the apartment complex area so what was crazy is that the garbage trucks were literally coming down the block like right as the police were about to start their investigation and they were stopped by police because of like a crime scene investigation had they not been stopped they would have picked up the garbage gone her torso probably would have never been found that's probably what he was hoping for they probably picked up her head and her arms and legs from another dumpster earlier on that he dumped it in and taken her to some landfill or something like never to be seen again unfortunately But her torso they were blocked from accessing the area and it was left behind so yeah um so he is obviously charged with first degree murder and one week before his trial was set to begin he entered a guilty plea on april 21st of 2014 on the advice of his lawyers although he ultimately like appeals his sentence because he feels like his representation was not adequate enough and that he could do a better job himself, as if he's like Ted Bundy. Um, but all of his motions were denied. Um, the prosecutors were able to nail him on first-degree murder, meaning there was a plan to kill, by that Walmart receipt that they found in his apartment, because it was for a hacksaw and duct tape, stated like a few days prior to the murder um so they frame it as like step one of his plan to like execute and then dismember and dispose of Lauren. you follow yeah um but part of his plea deal uh took the death penalty off the table and so in 2014 stephen who is 28 years old at the time was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole as early as 2041, which would make him 56 years old at the time of his release. Um, So I don't know how I feel about that. But uh, for now, he rots in Valdosta State Prison in Georgia. And that is the murder of Lauren Giddings. Wow. What did you think, Mark?
0: It was very compelling. I was really interested in it. You liked it? Yeah.
1: It's sad, though, right? yeah it's though so. and um her family and friends have really like done a lot for her like they hosted um like a fundraiser event, uh like a softball tournament, and they called it the butterbean Tournament, like in oh, honor of her she... dog um and they set up a scholarship like in her name um and you can donate to it online. We'll post it in the show notes, but yeah, so he is currently in prison i don't know come 2041 if he'll be released or not let's hope not because he clearly like planned this he was obsessed with her you know what i mean he stalked her had videos of her he was like prying her about he's her a relationship creep, bro. yeah he's a fucking creepy and if you see this guy like wait till you see this guy like he think about him ever being a federal judge it's like god help me if i was like on trial for something and i walk in and he's my judge i'd be like oh boy i'm in trouble You know. Yeah. I I wish you guys could like have a visual on Mark right now. He could barely like put a sentence together. He's looking at me like he hasn't slept in ninety years. (laughs) One one hit of weed, and this guy's like done.
0: I can fall asleep right here.
1: I mean, me too. Who can't?
0: No, like it's like really hard for me to keep my eyes open right now.
1: All right. Well, I'm gonna need you to keep them open just a little longer so we can lighten some shit up here, okay, Marv?
0: I'm not lighting shit up right now.
1: Well, I will be telling the stories. It's my week to pull them, but I'm gonna need you to listen. Oh, okay? lighten
0: and li- oh, light. I knew
1: that. Uh, <laughs> you thought I meant like lighting a blunt. Yeah. No, no. So I pulled um, some stories for you this week that are like embarrassing, like arrest stories of why people got arrested. Because I was thinking, like, this jerk, Stephen, got arrested for stealing a singular condom from two different apartments, right? right so so was pretty dumb. Two singular condoms. Right. Yeah. So in keeping with that theme, I picked some crazy arrest stories, okay? Okay. And um, one of them does involve poop.
0: Um, here we go. <laughs>
1: but it wasn't on purpose. It's just, it's just how it worked out. So here I'll, I'll start we with that one and just get go. it out of the way. Okay. The headline is Florida cops taser naked burglar who pooped and masturbated when homeowner pulled a gun on him. <laughs> <laughs> Those were his two fight or flight responses. <laughs> I'm going to shit on the floor uh, and I'm going to start masturbating. pointed
0: a gun at me. It's not, it's not a masturbating and taking shit right here.
1: <laughs> right. So, okay, the story says. Lee County Sheriff's deputies said they were called to a home in North Fort Myers on Monday after the resident heard noises on the roof of his home. (laughs) The victim went outside when 21-year-old Gregory Matthew Bruni allegedly jumped from the roof, knocked the owner down, and ran inside the house. The victim said that Bruni, who was naked, ran into the living room and broke a 72-inch television in the process of trying to pull it off the wall. (laughs) The suspect then spilled all the contents of a wet-dry vacuum onto the floor, which... I don't know where he accessed that from. It's not clear here. Um, as Bruni was allegedly heading to where they keep their stored guns in their son's bedroom. Dot, 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 mm-hmm. question mark. This is a Florida story. Yeah, no not, not, my, uh, not my first place. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's headed towards the son's bedroom where the guns are being stored. Mm-hmm but the wife acted quicker than everyone else and she had already gotten one of them guns out and so she pointed a 38 revolver does that make sense 38 revolver It says point 0.38 yeah okay uh aimed a point 0.38 revolver at him to which he responded by defecating on the floor whipping out his pishad and-, <laughs> and masturbating To which the homeowner then called 911 saying he's standing right here. Nope. Now he's laying down. He's laying down on the floor, rubbing his penis.
0: Rubbing his penis.
1: When deputies arrived, they said Bruno was flailing around on the floor, not making any sense. At one point, he started to suck the water from the spilled vacuum into his mouth and then spit it back out. I don't know where this spilled vacuum came from. We're not... What the fuck? Where the <laughs> fuck do you find your stories, bro? Deputies later discover that Bruni defecated near the front door and in a hallway inside the residence. So, two places. And uh, I guess that's the story of this guy. And he
0: masturbated was, after or between both shits?
1: <laughs> Unclear. Apparently, yeah. like, she pulled the gun. She watched him poop. He laid
0: down on the floor and then started rubbing his willy.
1: i can't even talk about it anymore that's that story okay the next one is man eats underwear to beat breathalyzer so (laughs) um a man tried to eat his underwear in the hopes that the cotton fabric would absorb all the alcohol before he took a breathalyzer test david zerfla was subsequently acquitted of a charge of impaired driving because he blew 0.08 the legal limit However, he was thrown into the back of a cop car beforehand prior to taking the breathalyzer to which he removed his pants and his underwear and proceeded to eat them as he was not handcuffed while sitting in the back of the cop car. Um. And yeah, and then it cuts off. So that's all. That's all I know about that. But he beat it. So My pro tip. shit
0: stained <laughs> underwear.
1: How do you know they're shit stained?
0: Bro. Come on, bro. If you're that wild, you got shit stains in your underwear. <laughs> you that wild to eat cotton underwear to, just to absorb some alcohol so you pass the breathalyzer. You got shit stains, my man.
1: Well, pro tip: if you need to beat a breathalyzer, just I advise eat you not to do that. Your don't, real don't, quick don't do that. You mm-hmm. good? All right. Um, <laughs> this last one I have for you it took place in a Walmart, so I want that to be noted.
0: God, to love the Walmart. Um,
1: Walmart is a really great place that people watch. It just is. Um, so the headline is: Cinnamon roll can explodes inside of man's butt while shoplifting. <laughs>
0: clenched too tight that's all you just clenched too tight (laughs) happens to the best of us
1: 41 year old martin klein was arrested after he experienced shoplifting gone wrong in las vegas mr klein and his partner jerry weiss had stolen several grocery items from the las vegas walmart reportedly martin and jerry went quote shopping at approximately 11 a.m and headed towards the breakfast food aisle because who doesn't love shopping for breakfast what both guys had taken several cans of pillsbury cinnamon rolls from the aisle and then headed towards the bathroom A customer is quoted as saying, I had went to the bathroom to wash my hands when I heard a man in one of the stalls moaning. I had no idea what was happening, so I washed my hands and then got back out there. Soon after, Martin was approached by a Walmart security officer after he noticed the two men entering the restroom and leaving quite disturbed. The security then proceeded to ask him to show him the items he'd taken from the restroom. After Martin denied the allegations, he started to walk away and walk up to his partner. Security followed him as he met up with the other person, headed towards the restroom again. Michael Jones, a security guard at Walmart, said, I grabbed Mr. Klein and that's when his friend squeezed KY jelly into my face. (laughs) (laughs) This just took a turn. I didn't know about this. KY got all in my eyes and on the floor. So, um, okay, I attempted to grab Mr. Klein and that's when the both of us fell. This is the security guard talking. They
0: slipped up on the KY?
1: I guess. Oh, um, I fell on top of him and that's when I heard a loud popping Ayo. noise. Mr. Klein screamed loudly and then fluid started running from his backside. Fluid
0: started running? What What kind I of fluid? I was so
1: disgusted, but at least I caught the suspect.
0: What kind of fluid? Both men
1: are being held on $3,000 bond.
0: What kind of fluid though?
1: Maybe it popped and he started to bleed.
0: Wait, he put it in his rectum?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He put the can up his butt to try to steal it.
0: Mm. <laughs> like,
1: mm. put it in a pocket or something, guy. <laughs> mm. Why are you putting it up your ass? So he put it up uh, his ass and then it exploded uh, and then liquid came out. So I... I'm,
0: I'm only assuming the worst on that
1: one. <laughs> yeah, me too. We're just going to let it rock. Um, yeah, what? so those are my stories for the week.
0: I need you to do me a favor. Stay <laughs> the internet for a little while,
1: all right? <laughs> um yeah we will do um so thank you for listening uh we hope you enjoyed this episode he's got a different
0: set of buns in his pants now so I don't oh my know.
1: god mark is just sitting here thinking of more and more jokes but it already passed it's man. all right it's okay it already passed. i could bring it back oh my god okay please um rate and review us on itunes and spotify um and we'll be out with another episode next wednesday, wednesday um
0: you come join us next wednesday because we're gonna get Liddy like a titty on a hairless kitty yeah
1: i i genuinely may cut this
0: out no we're not cutting this out this is my this is my promo
1: your promo for what (laughs) literally goodbye